Amen. Well, good morning. I did not bring my lunch with me today. We're not going to be here that long. Um, but I do have a uh, little pack up here with something in it that I want to use to start our time together this morning. But before I do that, uh, my name is Patrick Chandler, and I am one of the church planters on staff here at Salt Church. And Andrew Kaplan and myself, we will be going out to Orlando to plant a church near UCF. Um, yes, um, praise God for clarity on that and all the things that have taken place to get there. Um, but we're not doing that in isolation. Some of you may be new to Salt Church. I want you to know that you're a part of something bigger. Um, this is a network of churches that plant churches. There are 20 churches within our network currently and more coming into the network in the future and being planted as well. And we target major university centers with the purpose of being multi-generational churches, to see them planted in those places. And so uh, for us, Andrew and I are just going to be one of those uh, additional to those uh, in 23 when we plant. And so super excited to share even a little bit more uh, in the message today about some things that are going on uh, with UCF in Orlando. But just want you to know that we, you are a part of something that's even bigger than what's taking place here. We did choose to come to Gainesville for the reason of UF being here and uh, to see rooms like this filled with college students. And God has been faithful to provide that. And so uh, super excited to share God's word with you this morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 18. While you're turning there, I want to uh, just share something that I learned this weekend. This is why I had this cooler up here with me. Uh, some of you may be like, Patrick, you're old and you should have known that already. Uh, that's probably true. Uh, others of you will be maybe shocked by what you see as well as I was. So there's a phrase that goes like this. The phrase is, I was this many years old when I realized blank. And so for me, I was 36 years old when I realized that you could open one of these things that I'm about to show you in a way that I'd never seen done before. So I'm gonna show you what this is. You guys can tell me what you call them here in Florida. I've heard them called different things in different places. And so since I'm a new Floridian, you can tell me what are these called? Popsicles. I've heard them called freezies. I've heard them called freeze pops. I've heard them called ice pops. Any other, any other name that you called them growing up? Water pop. What? Hotter pops. I don't know. I haven't heard that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So... So every summer, we keep these in our refrigerator. I have three little girls, and they love to play outside. And when they play outside, we keep these in our refrigerator so that they can have them to cool off. And um, over the years, I've, I've grabbed these things, and I've bit them off, like almost pulling a tooth out. I've grabbed scissors and cut. But when you cut scissors and you use scissors to cut this, what do you have to do with scissors afterwards? You have to wash them. It's so annoying every time that you do that. And so this weekend, as I was preparing for this message, um, hanging out with family in between preparing, and I came across that there's a way to actually open this without using your mouth, and there's a way to open this without using scissors. And so if I make a mess, I'm sorry, um, but you just take, the, take this ice pot, you hold it in your hand like this, and you just break it. And it's not, it, see, it just, it just breaks. These are a little soft from being in this box, um, but Josiah apparently tried this with some students this weekend and said it flew all over his face uh, whenever he, whenever he did that. But now, what does a popsicle and a discovery like this have to do with the Book of Exodus? Well, nothing really with a, with a, with a popsicle. Uh, it was just something that I realized this weekend, and I really wanted to share that with you guys. No. Uh, 
in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 18, we see a discovery take place. And my discovery was very trivial. It was something that it will impact how I live. It actually will. Like yesterday when we got home from the pool or two days ago, I actually popped this over for my kids and gave it to them without making any scissors dirty or mess up any of my teeth. It was a nice thing that I learned, but it really doesn't have impact in my life in the long term. It doesn't change anything. It's a fun thing to share with you guys. But in this passage, there's a realization that takes place that actually is a, is a changer for everything. It changes how we live. It changes how we think about the past. It changes how we think about the future. It changes everything about life. And this realization is gonna come from an unforeseen place and a person that's not been a part of the story very much in the book of Exodus. And as we jump into this text this morning, though, you might find yourself going, what's happening in the book of Exodus? Last week, Andrew got to preach this like action-packed text where he's talking about them needing water and needing food, and there's these, these other armies attacking, and they're defending. And then I get to my passage this week, and Moses is hanging out with his father-in-law. And you're like, what? Like, how did it go from this intense moment of all these different crises that Moses is trying to solve for these Israelites to Moses just hanging out with his father-in-law? And so I, I really do believe that this is not a one-off story. I really do believe that this is not something that just accidentally was placed in Scripture here. I believe it was placed in Scripture here for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose that I think it's there for is what our big idea is this morning. Our big idea is that our God is greater than all other gods. Our God is greater than all our gods. Now, when you hear that, you're like, absolutely. We sang that since we were kids. Like, I know that's true. Or maybe you came to Christ recently. You're like, yes, I know that's true. I know that God is greater. But I want you to see how this played out for the nation of Israel and how this plays out for Moses and his father-in-law. And I want you to see that the things that took place in Exodus aren't just stuck in Exodus. That these things have implications for how we live our lives on a regular basis. And so the way I want us to see that this morning in Exodus 18 is remembering our God is greater than all other gods, that we would see two takeaways. And the first takeaway is that we would remember and respond. That we would remember and respond to what God has done. Now, as we walk through these first eight verses, Exodus 18 verses one through eight, we're going to see Jethro, which is Moses' father-in-law, and Moses hanging out and looking backwards. We continue to see that on into 11 and 12. And then in the second section of our time together, verses 13 to 27, we see Moses and Jethro looking forward. So the first half is looking back. The second half is looking forward. With those things in mind, let's read verses 1 through 8. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and for God's people, Israel. And the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, along with her two sons, one who was named Gershom, because Moses had said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land, and the other Eliezer, because he said, the God of my father was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Moses' father-in-law Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. 
he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her, and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, then kissed him. They asked each other how they had been and went into the tent. Moses recounted to the Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that confronted them on the way, and how the Lord rescued them. Now, as I first read these verses, I was so wrapped up in the idea of hey, all this action took place and all these different crises were going on in chapter 17 that I really missed what was taking place here in these few verses. It, was just, it seemed like a lot of details. Moses' father-in-law is called father-in-law like 12 different times in this one book, of, like this one chapter of the Bible. It's like, okay, we get it. He is Moses' father-in-law, we understand. But he was, the author was trying to show us some major significance about Moses' family and his care for his family. And so there are things that we can take away from that and things that we won't have time to explain this morning. But the first thing that I want you to see as we think about remembering and responding to God is looking at how Moses and Jethro in these eight verses, they look back. They're gonna look back and we're gonna see four different remembrances that they have. The first one comes from verse one and it is, that there is word spreading about Moses and Israel being brought out of Egypt. Now, when we read the Israelites going through the Red Sea, and we read like God delivering them from the Egyptians, we read these things, a lot of times we have no concept or, or idea of how many people this actually would have been. We don't think about it in those terms, but here we see Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, who is not an Israelite. He's from Midian. He's from a neighboring place. So he, is, he would be what we call a Gentile, someone who's not a Jew. He is, he is somebody, the Midianites will end up being a, a great enemy of Israel for most of the Old Testament. But here in this passage, we see an interesting thing that Jethro is hearing words about what God has done to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. So it's believed that maybe as many two million people are present at this time. The two million people are here at this point in the book of Exodus as they're together and as they are on this journey wandering in this wilderness time period, two million people don't go anywhere without people talking about it. So as people talk about it, there's word spreading, but they're not word spreading just about how, how terrible people they are or whatever, there's word spreading about how good God is. God's name and God's fame is doing what he said would take place and that his name is being glorified all these different places and people can't turn down what happens. So let's just put this in perspective. Let's just think about Ben Hill Griffin Stadium on a Saturday in college football season. There's 90,000 plus people there at the stadium, more even outside the stadium. Can you imagine somebody getting those 90,000 people to do anything? Like to all together, for you all together to go do anything. Now think about that in a scale all the way up to maybe as many as 2 million people. If that many people walked on dry land, that many people walked out of captivity, that many people were slaves and now free, word would spread. Have you heard what's happening over there? What happened? How did that happen? And what's not being spread is not negative things, but instead it is things about God. The word is spreading about God's power. So that's the first remembrance. The second remembrance that we see is tied to Moses' son's 
names. So Moses is in this text. I don't know if you caught it, but whenever he says his son's name, he says Gershom, and he tells you what that name means. Because Moses had said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. See, Moses had no home. Moses' whole life was in one place for a season, then went somewhere else for a season, and then went somewhere else for a season. He never had a home. But what Moses is thinking back and thinking about being, this word could also be translated foreigner or sojourner. He's thinking back and realizing that God has been faithful all my life. Every place that God has taken me, every, every word that he said would come true has happened and God has been faithful. And so they are remembering this together. So church, I, I, I don't want us to, to miss this, that this is not just true for Moses, but this is true for the nation of Israel. They were a sojourning nation. They were, they were going around and God was faithful to them all the way they went. But I want to say for us too, this is not our home. Gainesville is not our home. Florida is not our home. The United States is not our earth is not our home. We are made for another place. So we're all sojourners. We are all en route to do what God has designed for us to do. And I want you to know that just like Moses is recounting to Jethro, that God is faithful as you go along your journey. The second name he gives to his son. Now his son's names were named years before. He's not giving their names here. He's just explaining these names to us in this text. So the second name was Eliezer because it said, the God of my father was my helper and rescued me from Pharaoh's sword. Now this is most likely talking about the first Pharaoh that Moses gets away from as he's killed this Egyptian and he's fleeing um, and how he ends up meeting his wife and all those things. But as they're remembering back, thinking about being delivered from that Pharaoh, that first Pharaoh, it's impossible to think they didn't also be reminded as he's even saying these words, that they were also just delivered from another Pharaoh. God has been faithful to deliver them, not just once, but twice. But this word translate as God is my helper. And the nation of Israel, they needed God as their helper in this time of wandering, in this time of wilderness, and them to go into the promised land that they were ultimately one day gonna go to. They needed these things to take place. They needed a helper. How were they going to do that? And Moses is using these two sons' name to tell us about himself. He's telling us that he's a sojourner, and he's telling, me, telling us that God is our help. And the same thing is true for us. We are sojourners, and God is our help. The third remembrance that they have is one that, honestly, I had to look over multiple times to see this. I just kept reading over and missing this. But in verse five, it says, Moses and father, father-in-law Jethro, along with Moses' wife and sons, came to him in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now you're like, there's no remembrance in there. Well, there's not a remembrance in there. But if you go all the way back to Exodus chapter two, all the way back to Exodus chapter two, as the, as the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, God tells them in chapter two, you will be freed from this place. You will be freed from slavery and you will worship at this mountain that I'll take you to. They're there. Moses is recounting with his father-in-law these things of remembrance. God has been faithful God delivered them. Word is spreading about that. The two names of his sons describe the remembrances of them looking back. And then we see that God has been faithful in this way. And then just in case, just in case Jethro missed any of this, 
or just in case there was any lack of clarity, there's the fourth remembrance. And the fourth remembrance comes from verse eight, which says, Moses recounted to his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that confronted them on the way and how the Lord rescued them. God had rescued them. He did not want to leave it to doubt, any doubt in his father-in-law's mind that God was the one who was the rescuer. I don't know about you, but if you have been rescued and you know your faith is in Christ and you got transformed, your sins are forgiven. We, we also need to remember. We need to recall that in our lives to, to not just think about what's ahead, but also think backwards. I'll share a little more, some practical ways of that. But those were four ways in which they remembered as they look back. Now, in verses nine through 12, I want us to see how they responded. It's one thing to look back and to go, God did all kinds of great things and just go on. But that's not what happened. Read with me in verses nine through 11. Jethro rejoiced over all the good things. Now, who is Jethro again? Jethro is Moses' father-in-law and he is the Israelite? No, he's, he's a Midianite. So Jethro, a Midianite, rejoiced over all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel when he rescued them from the power of the Egyptians. Blessed be the Lord, Jethro exclaimed, who rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and from the power of Pharaoh. He has rescued the people from under the power of Egypt. Now listen. Now, I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because he did wonders when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in God's presence. See, God didn't just do all these actions for them just to continue on to need something in the future. But God did all these things and has them look back because of what's about to come in the chapters that we'll see ahead of us. But before we go into chapter 19, let's not miss how Jethro responds. This outsider, this Gentile responds in worship. Now there's a lot of debate over this passage in particular of whether or not Jethro actually became a Christ follower in this, became a person who followed God, a lover, a lover of God in this way. And I, I think he does. And here's why. His actions matched his confession. His actions match his confession. So Jethro doesn't just say, wow, the God, of it, the God of Israel is amazing, and go on. He stops and he makes a burnt offering and sacrifices and worships to the Lord with Moses. But then he goes on to say that he has a meal with these guys. The, the elders of the Israelites camp, Aaron and Moses, they have a meal together. And we don't understand this in our time because we don't think about meals the same way, but meals in biblical times was a sign of like acceptance. It was a sign of, of community. Like you didn't eat with people that were random strangers. You ate with people that you were close to, that you were accepting of. And that's why Jesus got in so much trouble in the New Testament because they kept saying, hey, who is this man who sits with sinners and eats with them? And so Jethro is making offerings. He's worshiping God. 
Again, our, our big idea is that our God is greater than all other gods. Comes straight from the text and out of Jethro's mouth. He says in verse 11, I know the Lord is greater than all other gods because he did signs when the Egyptians acted arrogantly against Israel. You see, Egypt thought, hey, we're in control. They thought, hey, we're in power. No one is stronger than us. And God said, I am. Watch me work. And God used sign after sign after sign to ultimately bring the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And so the first thing they do is Jethro rejoiced at Israel's rescue. But then Moses and Jethro all worshiped together. So there were four remembrances and two responses. Those two responses we see are actually rejoicing and worshiping God because he is different than any other God. A few weeks ago, I took some vacation and um, actually um, preached at a church in uh, North Mississippi where Andrew and I served together uh, for, for a handful of years. And the church's name is Longview Heights, not really important uh, for our time together this morning, but at, at Longview Heights, something unique happened when I went there. It's been 11 years since I started working there. So 11 years ago, I started working on staff of this church in youth ministry Fast forward to now, I've been to Omaha and now I'm living in Florida. And what, what took place with me when I was there preaching was it was great to do a wedding for a former student. It was great to, uh, to preach on the Sunday morning. It was great to do those things. But I was overwhelmed with God's faithfulness. As I looked at my life and I thought about our marriage and all the things we'd walked through in our marriage over the last 11 years, as I thought about how we prayed for kids and people in that church prayed for us to have kids and we couldn't have kids and then God opened the womb and we had children. We celebrated that with families there. We cried with families there that lost kids, that had miscarriages. We walked with families in sickness and cancer and different things. And while I was there, it was just this overwhelming emotion of me looking at like, man, God has done so much. But then God took us to Omaha and did the same thing again for a handful of years and then brought us here. Well, what happened? It wasn't like I knew something new. It wasn't like I learned something when I was there. But what happened was I paused in my life in a way that caused me to think about and, and to consider what God had done. I think that's what's happening here in Exodus 18. After all these different crises that have happened and all these things that the nation of Israel, they've, got, they've been in slavery now, out of slavery, they've been wandering around. I think that's what's happening here. I think God is giving Moses a moment to pause, to look back because he's gonna take him somewhere in the future. And so as he's looking forward, he has to remember where he's been in God's faithfulness in the past. And so I like to call the, what, what happened with me when I was there um, at preaching at this church and seeing families that we had invested in as terrorist time, terrorist time. This is not original to me. I read it in a book years ago. It's something I've just adopted and, and, and grabbed a hold of. Terrorist time is when you think about your life and you think about like a figurative balcony. There's a figurative balcony that you go up on this balcony and you look over the terrace. And as you look over the terrace, you can see clearly what is needed. You can see what spots are in trouble. You can, speak, you can see all around. You can see behind you, in front of you. And you can see, I need to address these things. But you can also see, hey, I planted that. And now it's grown. You can, you can see, hey, there's this, there's this thing that God did that I thought was impossible. But when I look at the terrace, I see that. And me having that terrace times gives me confidence for the future. And so for us, how can we have that terrace time? How can you in your life push pause 
to have some terrace time where you can see the things that God has done in your past and is doing around you. You see, the temptation is, and I'm just as guilty, and this is why I missed it before going back and, and speaking of this church and God using this time in my life, I was so focused on the present. And I was so focused on God, I need you to do all these things in planting. I need you to provide all these things in the future. And God's like, hey, Patrick, look what I've done in the past. Look at all the ways that I've been faithful. And so for you, the first application of this, I would say is in thinking about remembering and responding is, is how do you remember? You remember to have some terrace time. So how do you block off time? Is that saying, hey, one morning in your time with the Lord or one evening in your time with the Lord, I'm just gonna just write down all the things that God's been faithful in. Is that getting away for a half a day and writing some things out? Is that um, finding a way to block off a, a day in your calendar once a month to say, hey, what, how has God been faithful? I don't know what rhythm works for you, but I want to encourage you, find some time. You see, Moses could have, Moses could have gone and just kept going and kept going and kept needing and kept needing and kept needing. But I really think God has him pause here so that he can take him where he wants to go in the future. The other thing I want you to think about as an application of this is that you would become fluent in celebrating God. That you become fluent in celebrating God. When you try to learn a language and you become fluent in it, you are able to know in this circumstance, it's appropriate to say this response. In this setting, I can say this and it's okay. In this setting, I can't say that and I should stay away from that. But when we think about celebrating God, we often think about it as kind of a weird thing. We think about it in our everyday life. Hey, this guy that I work with who's not a Christian, he probably doesn't wanna hear about how God's working in my life. But that's what we see here in the text. An outsider, a Gentile who was, who was not following God is seeing and hearing God working. And because of that, he goes, there's no other God like this God. And so I wonder who God may have placed you around that by you being fluent in your life and celebrating God. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a, a roommate that you don't even know yet that you haven't met for this, this next school year that you're gonna be around. I'm not saying be that weird person who all he ever wants to do is be spiritual. I'm not saying be the person who acts like they pray all day, every day. If you do that, great. But I've never met someone who does that besides Jesus. So if, if, if you walk with Christ, you don't have, you don't have to be like a separate category. A lot of times we think about like, hey, I'm gonna have this category of my life over here. And this category is where I got pray and I celebrate and I do these things. And then I have this other category over here where I'm hanging out with everyone else. And God doesn't want us to have two different categories. God wants us to celebrate and for the words of affirmation because our God is greater than all other gods that we would continually and regularly talk about him. Would we be faithful to do that so that others may come to Christ? And the, and the crazy thing is, is that as they come to Christ, you know what they'll start doing? They'll start celebrating what God has done too. And then when they do the same thing with someone else, then they will start celebrating what God has done too. And it continues on and on and on. So the second takeaway that I want us to see from this text this morning in knowing that our God is greater than all other gods is to practice sharing ministry. Practice sharing ministry. So if, if the first 12 verses of this text were a looking back, the 13 through 27 are a looking forward. And in this section, Moses gets a dire warning from his father-in-law. He's like, Moses, you're in danger. Moses could have been like, yeah, yeah, whatever. 
But Moses listens to his father-in-law and God actually uses Moses' father-in-law here to change some things that Moses was doing towards the future that actually allowed him to be a better leader. Let's look at these verses together. It's a lot of verses. I'm gonna read them through and then we'll come back and hit a couple of them. Verse 13 says, the next day Moses sat down to judge the people and they stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw everything he was doing for them, he asked, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why are you alone sitting as a judge while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses replied to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. Whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me and I make a decision between one man and another and teach them God's statutes and laws. What you are doing is not good. Moses is like, what? What you're doing is not good. Moses' father-in-law said to him, you will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who you're with because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you some advice and God be with you. And God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. Instruct them about the statutes and law and teach them the way to live and what they must do but you should select from all the people, able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, hating dishonest prophet, placing them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Then should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load and they will bear it with you. If you do this and God so directs you, you will be able to endure and also, all the people will be able to go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they would judge every minor case themselves. Moses let his father-in-law go and he journeyed to his own land. Again, who, who, is, who is Jethro to tell Moses, hey, you're doing this wrong? And I want you to notice that Moses is having this family reunion in this previous verses, but the very next day, he's not like, hey, sorry, family. Um, I, I, I'm gonna, like, sorry, people of Israel. I gotta go um, hang out with my family for a little bit. Uh, getting away from family is great. Taking a pause from these things is great. But Moses did not have that pause mentality. Moses goes straight back into his task. And that's part of the problem. Moses was trying to be all things to all people in an unhealthy way that was not going to allow him to sustain. The way that Moses was functioning was going to wear him out. It was also causing a problem with the people of Israel. The problem that it was causing is they were having to wait morning till evening. So you think about it, Moses gets up, starts the day here, case after case after case after case after case after case after case, and it's lunch, and it's case after case after case, and then it's sundown. And then the next morning he gets up and does the same thing again, and the people are just waiting and waiting, and Moses is waiting and waiting. So he's saying, hey, this is not a good structure. You need to change your structure. God has been faithful in the past. You can entrust him to provide the godly men who need to step in and to be leaders in your place, and only you handle the things that are of the greatest need. 
it's clear here that God is just. You're like, wait a minute, what? God's, God's not telling Moses, hey, slack off on the laws. He's not saying, hey, it's too difficult to upkeep these standards. When I was in Omaha, there was this major high school that was there and I did some ministry on, on their high school campus. And um, one day I was talking to the, the guy who checked you in the school and um, he was just talking about how the rules of the school just, they weren't kept, they weren't followed, especially when it came to dress code and some things like that. And, and I was asking, I said, hey, why, why is that the case? And he's like, man, if, if we address every dress code issue, we would never have time for anything else. That would take all of our time. And so what they said was, hey, we're gonna have these rules and these expectations, but we're not gonna hold you accountable to it. So what they were saying is they actually aren't rules and expectations. But that's not what God does. God doesn't look at Moses and go, hey, you just gotta suck it up and try harder. He says, no, I wanna provide a way that's sustainable for you. He cares for Moses, but he cares for the nation of Israel as well. But he also cares greatly for his law. He doesn't say, hey, it's too hard to keep this law. It's too hard to keep up with this. But instead... He desires there to be accountability to the law. Moses was limited in his ability to serve everyone. I believe that this further shows us the big idea and that our God is greater than all other gods. And what I mean by that is that no man, no woman, no leader, no pastor, no politician, no teacher, no one in our life can be our savior. No, we can't, we can't look to, they may, they may be a great servant of the Lord, they may be someone that helps us, but no one can take the place of God. And we see in Hebrews 3 that Jesus is actually the better Moses. In Hebrews chapter 3, we see that Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus is faithful as a son. See, Jesus is able to be everywhere for everyone. But not only that, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. You see, Moses' system that he was implementing, that his father-in-law is telling about, is a temporary one. It's one that would only last for a season, but Jesus' system is one that lasts forever. We have a great high priest in Jesus who can sympathize with us in our weakness, and he can be everywhere for everyone at all times. He cares for the brokenhearted. He cares for those that are afflicted. He cares for those that are lawbreakers, and he cares for those that are being affected by others breaking laws in their lives. It's helpful to see that Moses is limited in his ability as it kept the Israelites from looking to him as their savior. Moses makes a terrible savior. I make a terrible savior. You make a terrible savior. We fail. We fall short. But God does not. But because Christ is greater than Moses and because we see that Christ is available everywhere for everyone, it doesn't diminish what's taking place in this text. In this text, through Jethro, Moses is learning there's limitations to your life. And God is saying there needs to be shared leadership for Israel. Now, shared leadership for Israel and shared leadership for the church aren't exactly the same, but there are some principles from this that we can take away. And we see the New Testament further develops this idea of shared leadership. If you look at the New Testament, the churches have elders and those elders share in the responsibility of caring for the flock of God and, and pastoring those individuals. This is why all salt churches have elders. 
so that there's no pastor, there's nobody who is functioning on their own as a captain that everyone must fall in line or, or get off ship. Instead, it is, it is a team working together. This idea of shared leadership was designed to be a blessing for Moses, a blessing for the nation of Israel, and it's also a blessing for us and for the church. Some of you have asked, hey, Andrew and you are gonna go together to plant this church at UCF, or one of you guys gonna be like the college guy, and one of you guys gonna be the, the pastor, how's that gonna work, what's that gonna look like? And what we're doing in Orlando is we're having a, a co-lead model where Andrew is the lead pastor and I'm the lead pastor. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't work. Well, in, in an elder function, no elder is over the other. They're, they're on, on par with one another. They may lead meetings or lead discussions or lead plans, but they come together to bless the church. And yes, it takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of commitment to have each other's backs and to, and to be there for each other. It also takes a lot of hard conversations to be able to do this thing. But it is so beneficial for the body of the church to have shared leadership Team leadership truly is a gift from God. Now, some of you are like, well, that's great, Patrick. I'm glad you guys have that working out for you guys as you plan. But like, how does that affect me as I live my life? I, I wanna say to you is that shared leadership is a blessing for you. If you have kids and you're in the room right now, the fact that your kids aren't in here with you and they're in a kid's ministry is shared leadership. If you're a part of Salt Company and you're benefiting from different the pool party tonight or other things that are happening this week or the weeks that are ahead, that's coming from shared leadership. It's not one person doing everything. It's the team working together for the furtherment of the gospel, for the Lord to be glorified the same way we see him being glorified in this text. And so this morning, I, I, I wanna encourage you by telling you a story of a former student who actually lives here in Gainesville. So some of you guys have met Jack Vernon. Jack Vernon is a student who, whenever he was in seventh grade, he, I was his youth pastor from the time he was in seventh grade all the way till he graduated out of high school. And then when he graduated out of high school, he went to the university where Andrew was serving on campus doing collegiate ministry. And he was under Andrew's leadership the whole four years of him being in school for college. Well, Jack heard about us planting in Florida. We didn't know where we were going to go for sure. We were praying about UCF and Orlando. But we weren't sure. Jack said, I'm in. I want to sign up. I want to be a part. And we're like, well, we don't have anything for you to do. He's like, I don't care. Like, I want to come. I want to be a part of what you're doing. So Jack literally got a job in Gainesville, moved his life down here to, to Gainesville, even not even knowing where we were going to go next. But then Jack got here and was like, well, I don't want to wait for two years to do anything ministry-wise. Like, what can I do to serve here at Salt Church? Like, what are some needs that are here? And maybe how can I help you guys as you plant in the future? And so over the last few months, few weeks, whatever, Jack has been meeting with Burke, who runs our sound, and Burke is teaching him how to run sound and how to do that. Now, Jack just didn't go back to the soundboard the first Sunday and just start pushing buttons on the soundboard, or you guys all would have left because it would have sounded terrible. There's literally one button on, that, on the keyboard back there that says reset, and it resets all the settings. I was told I can't push that button. It's really tempting to push the button, but Jack just didn't do that. Instead, he benefited by somebody else saying, hey, we're gonna work together in tandem as a group, as a church, and serve. And so for you, as you think about your life, how has God equipped you, uniquely placed you to be able to serve? to practice shared leadership. This idea of Moses having this division is not like, hey, well, that was just for Moses. Like, no, like this is a model for us that we see that all throughout the New Testament, Christ even further goes on this, Paul does this in the New Testament as well, 
that the church is not a one-man team. The church is a body. And as we serve as the body, how do we do that? But before we, before we go into full application, I want to show you one more thing from this text. If you look at verse 20, I want you to see the purpose of why these instructions were given to Moses, what his role was to do. It says, instruct them about the statutes and the laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. You see, the, the laws of God were not to just be learned. They were to be lived out. They were not to just be learned for them to have more intelligence, more knowledge about how God is or who he is, but they were to live that out. And so Moses is putting these people in place to help them live this out. This morning as I'm preaching, I'm hoping that as you hear this model of shared leadership, that in your life that you would begin to reflect and think, how can I live out the idea of sharing leadership? And some of you may think, oh, I'm not equipped. I, I, I can't do this. I'm not sure. Well, Ephesians 4 tells us that the elders of the church, their job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to help them know how to do what they're supposed to do. So part of, part of this thing's gonna flip over at one point in time in the sermon, it's gonna not be good. But part of my job and responsibility as serving as a church planter in the future would be to help raise up people to serve the church in their God-given talents and abilities and help them like see how they can fit. But 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that every believer, everywhere, that there's a priesthood of believers and they were all equipped to serve God because Christ has changed us and transformed us. And so some of you could serve as a greeter at the door. Some of you could serve in kids ministry. Some of you could serve somehow connected to salt company. Like, like some of you brought, brought food for tonight's pool party. There are ways that you can serve. Some of you can sing. I cannot, but some of you can sing and be a part of the worship team. I wouldn't make the tryout um, if I tried, but some of you can try out for the worship team and be a part of that and use your gifts and talents to serve the Lord in that way. But church, I, I don't want us to miss this. Moses, in serving the way he was, wasn't just one day a week. It wasn't just, hey, I'm gonna have all these people come to me in these cases. They're gonna go to all these people just one day a week. I, I truly believe that when we talk about serving God and, and sharing our leadership or sharing, serving together, I truly believe that God desires us to be faithful on Sunday morning, to meet needs that are there as we gather together as a body of believers and for, for those lost to come in and have a place to come and to hear God's word and to worship him. But I also believe that God cares about your Monday to your Saturday. And I think that God desires you to use the way he's gifted you in teaching, the way he's gifted you in leadership, the way he's gifted you with serving, the way he's gifted you in all kinds of ways. I don't know your story or how you're gifted. Each one of you uniquely are gifted. And God has placed you in a way that you can serve that no one else can. Would you use those gifts and those talents to serve the Lord? Don't limit serving God to just one day a week. God desires our whole life. Now, as we wrap up our time together this morning and consider where we've been, we started off talking about how this is a kind of a strange passage. Why would this passage be here? And I really do believe this passage is here so that we, just like Jethro, realize that our God is greater than all other gods. We would see that. Two, I think it's so that we would remember and rejoice in what God has done in the past 
And I think it's also so that we would actually, as we look forward, we would be faithful to share leadership together. So how will you take this truth of this passage this week, that our God is greater than all our gods? How will it impact your week this week? Could we this week find ways to pause and to remember all the ways that God has rescued and provided for us? We're gonna have one of those in just a moment. But during your week, is there a way that you could do that? Would those memories not just be like, oh, that's great that God did those things, but instead, God, just give me something else. Would we say, hey, let's pause and actually remember and rejoice in what God has done. But even as we look backwards, would that lead us to look forward to see how God might use us this week where we live, work, and play in, in, our, in our neighborhoods, in our networks, how God has uniquely placed us? Is there a way that we could serve those around us that might result just like Jethro in someone coming and putting their trust in Christ? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this, this text. I thank you that you place it in a, in a place that you did so that we can learn from it and glean wisdom from this text. I thank you that your word is a living and active. It's not dead. This is not old news. But instead, God, that you are working through your word even, even this morning to encourage lives. And I pray as we think about your faithfulness that it will lead to rejoicing in our lives through music even in just a moment. God, would you help us know how to use our gifts and talents to serve you and we'll be faithful to do so. We pray things in your name, amen.